I want to remind you that the Great Amish Belt Loop Bad Poetry Contest deadline is fast approaching. January 15th. You can win $100 and a handmade Amish belt. Our judge is the highly recognized culinary artist and poet, Ruby Yoder, the Gross Mommy. Here are the rules. Number one, your poem must be bad, really bad. All good poems will be immediately rejected. Number two, your poem is limited to a hundred words. Number three, your poem must contain these phrases, a cat yowling on a back fence and a buzzard on a dead horse. Number four, the entry fee is $10. Pay through the donation button on the Ag Arts website. Number five, leave your name, phone number, email address, belt size, and your poem on the speak pipe button on the Ag Arts website, www.agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot org. Speak slowly and enunciate. Number six, the top bad poems will be broadcast on a future podcast where we will announce the winner and the belt size. So get those entries in, folks. Who couldn't use $100 and a new belt to carry them into the new year? We're back again with our international storytellers, immigrants from around the world, now living and attending ESL classes in Muscatine, Iowa. In this episode, we'll travel from Mexico to Togo, eating everything from rattlesnake to guinea pig. Relax and listen to these brave voices speaking in a second language, relating their culinary tales of surprise and delight. Uh, this is the story that my daughter, Leticia. So we have a friend, they are family, and they became a grandparents. Is the first child born in his family. So the baby turned the first birth, the one year. So a whole family was preparing a big birthday party for the child, the first year. So they invite a lot of people because they, they are uh, on the Mexican restaurant. So the food, the kind of all style Mexican food in this party. So they invite a lot of people, it was a huge party. And uh, have a lot of dishes, many, many dishes, beef, chicken, and the lamb, and the outside is dish. So we went to, to serve, and oh, was Mexican food was delicious. And my daughter, oh, the, her husband asked, Leticia, what do you like it? What do you, for your favorite 
dish, I'm like, oh, everything is good, but the lamb, oh my, is really good. I will take the second plate, the lamb. So she went and she got the second place, the lamb. Well, almost finished the party. She went to the, the parents, the baby's parents, and the grandpa, grandma say, oh, thank you for inviting us. Thank you for uh, so beautiful party. The food was delicious, but the lamb, oh my gosh, the lamb was the best. So the grandma told, oh, did you like it? Was Linda. So my daughter froze. <laughs> So we come back. So my uh, the 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 mom's baby send in Facebook a, a picture. Oh look what the grandpa gave to my my child one lamb. So mom she sent it to me. Did you see? Did you see mom in your backyard? In my backyard with my neighbor. Yeah, backyard is a huge, and they oh have a lamb. I look in the my kitchen window. Oh my gosh, has a lamb! So it's a, not baby. She's adult. She's a big one, fat one, and oh my gosh, we have a lamb. In, I can't see in backyard. No, only squirrel. Squirrel. So okay. So my, my daughter asked me, okay, mom, when you become mom, what you will buy to pet? Eu, oh, okay, I will buy a pony. Told the competition, no? Oh, I will buy a pony. So the thing is, is the lamb wasn't a pet for the child. <laughs> it was for the dish. So it's a Linda. She, oh, my gosh. So my daughter told mom, I ate Linda. I can't believe it. I ate Linda, but it was delicious. Well, hello again. Um, as I said before, my name's Rachel Riley Smock, and I am one of the um, ESL instructors here at uh, the college. And going on my fourth year here, and um, for almost 20 years, I was actually a social worker here in town. And I've come back to my roots, really, because I was born in Sweden in the Arctic Circle of British parents, of Irish grandparents. And um, my whole, up till I was a teenager, we moved from country to country. And my beloved parents um, didn't think I should go to the British schools or to the American schools, the international schools. No, indeed, they sent me to the local schools. So um, I went and I, we lived in Holland, Belgium, Sweden, Switzerland, England and Ireland, but every time we moved, I would have to learn a new language. So by the time I was 12, I spoke six languages. If I wanted to play with the other children in the neighborhood, I needed to learn the language, obviously. So I tell my students that story every time when I, a, a class first starts in the beginning of the semester because I tell them I know what it's like to sit in a classroom and not understand a single word. And I just want to take a moment and, and have you really understand how brave they are. Not only are they up here acting and telling their stories, 
They're telling the story in their non-native language. Are they not doing a fantastic job? <laughs> class we have through the years had prob probably about 25 to 30 different countries represented and at any given time we sit down and we talk about the countries that people come from and all the different languages that are spoken and we have had at one time 25 to 30 different languages spoken by all the students in the class so for little Muscatine Iowa which I always laugh because here we are from all over the world ending up in Muscatine Iowa and um, we really have grown incredibly internationally, Muscatine. Anyway, enough of that, but I just did want to say that because I thought it was very important because the English um, language acquisitions class here at the college, we have incredible staff, and obviously the college is very supportive of us, and this project with Mary Swander has been tremendous, and uh, we're so happy to have been a part of it. Anyway, on to my story. <laughs> So as I said, um, uh, we, uh, we first moved to the United States as a, as a teenager, I did. And I have four brothers. And one of my older brothers, Mark, came over to visit us um, for the summer holidays. Um, he was um, coming over from, he was at the University of Liverpool at the time. And we um, decided that we wanted to go to McDonald's because we had never been to McDonald's before. We'd been to Wimpy's and other hamburger places in Europe, but we'd never been to McDonald's before. So, of course, we were so excited it was going to be tremendous. So we head off to uh, McDonald's. And we walk in and, of course, we're overwhelmed by the incredible smells of the hamburgers and the french fries or chips, as we call them back home. And we get up to the counter and we're looking at the menu and it's just so many choices and we're overwhelmed, but we're so excited. So the lady says, what would you like? And I said, well, I'd like a hamburger. You'd like a hamburger? Would you like a regular hamburger? Uh, yeah. Well, what's a, what do you mean? What's a regular hamburger? Is there such a thing as an irregular hamburger? <laughs> and my brother and I, you must know this now. What's so funny now is that he has a silly humor like I do, very Monty Python sort of silly humor. And the rest of our family does actually not like to be around us when we're together <laughs> because we act really daft, right? But anyway, so we, of course, well, we were just howling with laughter with this regular business. And of course, then it was, would you like fries? Well, would you like regular flies? Well, what again, what are regular versus irregular? Would you like a regular Coke? Oh, okay. All right. So we were laughing and obviously having a big laugh with that. And then we said, well, actually, we want our food to go and we would like it, you know, regular to go. We're not sure if there's an irregular to go. But anyway, we'd like it to go and we'd like a regular to go bag because we want this regular to go hat to put on our heads. Um, just why? Well, just to be silly. And we put them on our heads, and we were still speaking to the lady at the counter who thought we'd grown horns because we were so incredibly crazy. And my brother and I just were laughing and giggling and having a laugh. And, of course, my mother walked out because she was mortified by us acting so silly. But it was so amazingly, and still to this day, whenever I go out for dinner or whatever, and they say, would you like a regular Coke or a regular something? I always laugh because it just reminds me of that. And have we have all these choices and that was just something that I'd never experienced before. And um, it just was fantastic and just a funny little story. So, again, thank you for joining us all today, too. It was fantastic. Thank you.
and I'm also a teacher here. I think I started gaining a love of languages when it was my first language learning Spanish. And I got to go to Ecuador and just get engulfed in Spanish and the language and the culture. And when I went to live there, that I was uh, just one of the things. That, this is my food story now. Um, I, like I said, I, I just love languages and I love, and that, that's when I, getting to live in another country, nobody in Ecuador looks like me. So I was looking forward, though. People told me that I might get to try one of the local dishes called cui. And so I said, OK, well, that sounds fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up for anything. I'm, I was going to be living. I lived there for about a year and a half. They told me what cui was going to be like. They told me cui was guinea pig. I said, well, that's OK. I'll try that. It could, I've never tried rabbit. I've never tried anything quite like that before, but if somebody gave it to me, of course I would try that. I don't have anything against that personally. I never had a guinea pig for a pet, so I don't have any bad feelings about that personally necessarily, and I wouldn't want to offend anybody. Uh, they didn't have it anywhere on the menus or anywhere in the cities that I was in, so they said, well, maybe out on the ranches or up in the mountains where maybe they grow it, where they have it on the farm, like they have rabbits, where they raise rabbits, raise chickens, raise guinea pig to eat guinea pig. And I thought I finally had my chance because I did. I did visit a lot of people who were in, in those rural areas, never got a chance. Maybe it was because I looked like this, that they didn't give it to me. I was a little disappointed that I didn't even get the chance to see what it was like. Came back to the States, came back home, and I saw this documentary on this beautiful hotel that was built basically to um, save some of the rainforest there. And it was a lot of people came, and the reason they came was to give money to also help support some of the land there. It was very nice, beautiful, beautiful hotel. And the restaurant they had there, I don't know if they'd call it a delicacy, but it was definitely a local thing that was in Ecuador. They served Cui, and I finally got to see what a picture of it looked like, and it did look like just a rat without hair on it. Served whole, still never got to eat it, but it was there in the documentary, so it was there. Today, you have a chance to become a premium member of the podcast. Click one of the premium membership levels and you can get everything from a free book by an ag arts artist to free postcards to extra bonus interviews to the chance to have a piece of writing critiqued by me and a free workshop or reading by Mary Swander. So go to those show notes, scroll down, and click to become a premium member. Thank you so much for your support. Now, this is a story of when I was younger. And it was me and my little brother, well, my older brother, I was little. I was 7 to 10 years old. And we had this farm. And one day, it rained a lot. So we had to go out and make sure the beans were okay. So we went out, and but my mother was too busy. She could not make us lunch. So before I left, I grabbed some tortillas and some hot sauce, and we left. 
Uh, we brought shovels to you know dig the water out if we needed to, and a machete to cut things. So we go out and we are working, and eventually my brother says, "I am hungry. What are we going to eat?" I said, "I don't know." And eventually we look down and we find an armadillo. And I look at him. I say, "Well, what do you think?" He said, "He said, well, I'm hungry." I said, okay. So we take the machete and come. We kill them right there. But then we have a problem, a problem. We don't have any pots, any pans, or anything to cook this armadillo with. So we decided to make a bonfire, and we have a lot of wood and fire, and we cook it for about 15 to 20 minutes. And eventually we say, well, how are we going to eat this armadillo? You know, the, the top is hard. We we cannot go that way. And, and we say, okay, and we turn it around. And the bottom was soft. And I look at him again, I said, are we going to eat this armadillo? He says, yeah. <laughs> so I grab the hot sauce and I put hot sauce in the armadillo. <laughs> and I grab a stick I find on the ground and I mix it up. And then I get the meat from the armadillo and put it in my tortillas. And then for the first time in my life, I had armadillo tacos. <laughs> so then we go back to the house and I tell my mother about what we did and, and what we ate and about the tacos and she says well yes you can find anything out there to eat and she says see now next time I don't have to cook lunch for you um, hello my name is Elizabeth uh, I was actually born in Chicago, but I was raised in Mexico. So, for the armadillo, I'll clean it inside, but my mom will clean it outside. So, my mom will take the head off and take the tail off. So, after that, she will clean it and she will um, cook it in a uh, rotisserie. Um, it's actually, like, it's good. But it was my first time, so it was kind of like like chewy. Um, my 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 grandma like she lives her house is like it's big, so she has like a, all the way in the back is like trees and grass and all that stuff. And she will go and look for them. She will look and she, we will take the dogs out so they can go and hunt and, and look for the for the armadillo. Um, once she will, she will, um, the dogs will grab it. They will, um, they will start barking and barking. That's when we knew, okay, we have to go. Like the dogs already got something. So we will go all the way down. And the first thing that, um, my dog had one. So I, um, he couldn't, he couldn't like let it go. Cause he will let it go. The armadillo will go. So I was running down, down and I saw this. It was like, uh, it's like a hammer, but it, I don't know if you guys see like those big ones, those heavy ones. So I just went down and running. I don't know how I picked it up, but I picked that thing up and I just smashed it on his head. And I was like scared because I was like, I'm going to hit my dog or if I hit the armadillo, whatever, if I hit my dog. So it was like, okay, you have to hit the armadillo. So I was like, just hit it, so I just went once. It was like, so I was like, okay, that's it. So my dog let it go. My grandma grabbed it. She started taking it off, and honestly, it was good. I'm not gonna lie, it was good. <laughs>
So one day we have a party, and then Marisa over here, she brought black beans. And we have beans in my country, but we don't have black beans. So I was surprised my first time to see black beans. So do you know black beans? I don't know if you know black beans. <laughs> I was like, what's this? I, I didn't want to eat it because it was my first time. I don't know what it tastes. I don't know how it's. I'm sorry, Marisa. I didn't like it. But, so, she was afraid. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was afraid. It was very different. But I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But after that, another day, she brought black beans. It was good. It was not bad. So I just want to say thank you because oh, well. you pushed me to eat your black beans. Thank you. You see, the second time, not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Well, uh, black beans in my country became the national dish. So if you ask for Brazilian people what you want to eat, they will say black beans. We call feijoada because in Portuguese, beans is feijão. So came the root feijoada. So we use uh, cook uh, with... Uh, bacon, smoked sausage, and uh, dry meat. But this dry meat, a specific dry meat, I can, I did can, no, I can find here in U.S. is very different because they get uh, the fresh meat, but a lot salt and dry in the sun in hot, hot days. So this meat come very dry. So when you go to supermarket, you buy this meat and put in water for take out all salt and use in the feijoada. But here in U.S., I have bacon, I have uh, smoked sausage and the black beans and the all garlic, onion. So it's very good. And in winter time. Is very very good food because make you warm and strong. It's a strong food. So in my country, when we met the whole family, my grandma, mom, my sisters, my my sister-in-law, we met for do for cook feijoada because it's good for a lot of people. So we can invite you for try the feijoada like uh, Clementine. So <laughs> I and uh, this have one story about my country, this food, because many years ago this food um, became the national dish in my country, but they came from slaves because slaves work in the farms and the rich people in the rich house. So they cook the good part, the, the best part, the pork for the rich people. So what they don't use, so they take it and they mix it with the black beans. 
So they became the national dish, but came from slaves. So this is a, a little history, they are food in our country. Thank you. Okay, Alexander? Yes, it is. Presenter, I am. <laughs> it is having African food from Togo and eating it together. <laughs> so having that food here now, I'm remembering eating that food in my country. That food is better than American food. It makes me happy. <laughs> and it makes me look at, at myself like I am in West Africa in my country, Togo. <laughs> in my country, we have yams. Fufu, yes. We have peanut butter. You put the peanut butter in the sauce and voila. We have to <laughs> we have the peanut butter here and tomatoes. I put it together. And if I have a chicken or I have a fish, yes. If my phone is ringing, I can't know because I am eating foo foo. <laughs> Mashing up the yams takes a long time, but having foo foo, it what it. Here we have the powdered yams. We just buy the powder. We prepare it faster. One day, my mother was in the kitchen and she was doing something. She called us to be there and to look at her and she, she's cooking things for us to know when we, go, we got to be to somewhere and we don't have someone to help us for us as she let us know more about how to cook it now. It gotta be easy for us. So being hungry, we will not thinking about her, but having the knowledge how to cook it now, we, we gotta just think about the kitchen to be there and cook. <laughs> she wanted it to be easy for us. So my family is not here, my mother and my father. So who is going to cook for me? I'm cooking for myself. Yes, tired if I'm cooking and I'm tired, I can just go sit down. My wife also asks she know how to cook it. So she will just come and do the rest and she will call me. And when we gotta go on eating, maybe someone can be present and he will just, just beating the door. As we are eating, if someone don't come and beat me, I can know that someone is touching the door because I'm eating fufu. <laughs> so fufu, yes, I'm very happy for that. Being here in America also, ah, yams. Every day I'm thinking sincerely. If it was like, uh, I can have yams number, phone number to call to say yams, come, come, come. Oh, so very nice. <laughs>
obviously we've been hearing how important food is to all of us and food from all of our cultures. Um, my last little story has to do with, yes, a particular time and how important food was to this and to the whole occasion and how it interacted with it. And this is when my spouse-to-be and I were planning our wedding. This was years and years ago, and trust me, there were not destination weddings, right? You got married wherever you were going to get married, and if you had any friends, they're fine, and if not, if anybody could afford it, they might come or they might not. Now, at this point, we had both been away from our families for years and years, so our friends were all over the country. Uh, my parents were still in Iowa, and my husbands-to-be were in Illinois. So we decided we would have a very small wedding. We'd all meet in Chicago, just with the parents and the siblings and our grandparents. So we did that. And the night before, you know, actually we went there and we all had a few days to spend, which was really fun. And then at the end of that period, we were going to have our wedding. So the night before we were going to get married, my future father-in-law took us to dinner. His immigrant story was that his parents had arrived from Finland, um, and they had gone to the upper in Minnesota, and his father had worked in the coal mines. The unfortunate story there, if we know our history, is that his, fa his father had died in his early 20s from black lung disease, from working in those coal mines. His mother then remarried, and uh, my husband's-to-be father was raised in Massachusetts in another Finnish community. So it was very, his culture was very critical to him. So it wasn't a surprise. He took us to a Scandinavian restaurant. And I was finally right. I didn't know Scandinavian food. I really, really didn't. And it was wonderful. It was all this fresh fish, you know, and gorgeous, wonderful dishes. And then, as good as the food was, this was a dinner theater. And it was a dinner theater with little puppets. So there we were, and the puppets started to play My Fair Lady, which we knew some of. You know, a lot of people know pieces and parts of it, and we knew some of the songs, but not all of them. And all of a sudden, they broke into song with, I'm getting married in the morning. <laughs> and my spouse-to-be and I looked at each other and grinned and giggled because, in fact, we were going to be married in the morning, and we were, and we did. So. <laughs> brings our episode to a close. We were produced today by Rick Brewer of Brew Ha Ha Audio Production, and we worked with the Muscatine Community College, Naomi Winter and Rachel Riley Smock. Thank you for helping us with this episode. We also had support from the Warner Ellathorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and the Calio Levine Fund who also helps with our Farm to Artist residencies, and we had support from the Iowa Arts Council. We welcome your support. Simply go to our website, agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, and hit that red donate button. Thank you for your help, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>